Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports, but we definitely want to interact with you. So head on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on our social media accounts. Check out the blog section known as Parlay Points, the T Public Store, and so much more. And always remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod. But if we're talking sports, we got to kick off this edition, recapping the week that was in the NFL, and definitely dive into our Locks and Leaps competition, which if you're new to the show... It is our little friendly podcast competition about picking the games of the week, seeing who got them right and who got them wrong for bragging rights. And, Pad, let's kick off recapping your picks. Yeah, so we'll start with my lock. I chose the Arizona Cardinals to defeat the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they did, but not without some interesting moments. Uh, during yes. The game. Uh, Cardinals won by the final score of 31-19. to uh, Kyler Murray had 28 of 34 for 316 yards passing, uh, no touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, 22 of 34 for 219 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. But, of course, the moment everyone's talking about was right before the end of halftime, uh, or right before halftime, not the end of halftime. You had uh, Arizona was up 7 to whatever it was, like 7-7, whatever it was. Uh, and Arizona was going for a field goal. It was going to be a 68-yard field goal, which at that point was going to be the NFL record mm-hmm. if he made it. Uh, did not make it, fell short, and then the return man, the deep man, because, hey, they always put a team there just in case, caught the ball and ran the damn thing 109 yards back. Good Lord. Arizona got out of this one a little bit lucky because I think they took Jacksonville too lightly. Yeah. I really did because, obviously, the Urban Meyer era in Jacksonville has not exactly been a lights-out home run. And I think that they were taken a little off guard at the beginning of this game because it was still 7-7 until that field goal attempt was ran back. Mm -hmm. So you have to keep that in mind. But Jacksonville obviously has not been lighting up the stat sheet with anything. No. And obviously this has been a very disappointing season for them coming out of the gate. Arizona has been the surprise to some in the NFL. But we have been watching them in preseason and obviously the past couple games. They have looked very strong, and they are definitely looking like a contender in the toughest division in all of American football. Yeah, the because, NFC West. Yeah, because you got to remember, week one they beat the Titans. Last week they beat the Vikings. You know, so they're looking pretty good. You know, and, and the thing is with this game, as I mentioned, no touchdown passes from Kyler Murray. This was all you know on the ground. Uh, you had Kyler Murray run seven carries, nineteen yards. He had one touchdown. James Conner really punched it in for him. Eleven carries, forty-three yards, two touchdowns. Worked for my fantasy team. Just, mm-hmm. just gonna say, you know, but the, yeah. No, I think for a while, Arizona got caught a little flat-footed and then didn't take Jacksonville as seriously as they should have. And that's one thing that you'll know the good teams always do in the NFL and the pretenders don't do well. And I'm not saying that Arizona isn't a good team, but they turned it on late. And that's the one thing that if you were lucky enough to flip that switch, you can definitely do that. Putting up 24 points unanswered is really a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that's something that for 
Arizona or Arizona moving forward, rather, I should say, is a good sign. And especially the one takeaway that I think is very good is it wasn't all based on the passing game of no. Kyler Murray. No. Even though AJ Green had a big day, 112 yards, Christian Kirk had 104. It still was the ground game, which is something that Arizona has been very suspect about. Yeah, and you definitely want to be a well-rounded team, as every color commentator will tell you, you know, because if you're a one-dimensional team, you know, everyone will just be like, all right, hey, we're facing such and such team this week. They're going to really pound the ball down our throat. You know, cornerbacks, don't safeties, don't even worry about dropping deep. We just got to load the box up. Mm-hmm. And that's something that if you're going to really make a deep run in the playoffs, you have to be balanced. It doesn't matter how good you are on one side of the ball. Running or passing, you have to be balanced. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to get picked apart because the good teams will game plan for you and shut down what you're really strong at. It's not something you want to just double down on and really focus on your aerial attack or your ground. You have to have that balance keep defense honest. Yeah. So Arizona definitely impressed me with this win coming back and turning on when they needed to. Jacksonville is Jacksonville. Yep. And there's nothing really nice we can say about them. They have an okay running game. James Robinson, 15 carries, 88 yards, one touchdown. He averaged 5.9 yards a carry. That's not bad. It's not bad, but it's not going to be enough to... It's not going to win you any games. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. It's going to be a very long season if they can't get this offense going, especially Urban Meyer at the helm. We know his track record from college, Mm -hmm. but translating it to the pros has not exactly been a home run, to say the least. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence... It's very interesting to see how he's reacting to this because, obviously, being the prized draft pick of this past year's draft. Well, and also the man who, up until week one when he lost, had never lost a, a competitive football game ever at any level. Mm-hmm. Is How is he reacting to all this? Which, obviously, you know if you're the number one draft pick, you're going to a team that is in a rebuilding phase, There's to, gonna to put be it nicely. Some, there's going to be some lumps. There definitely is. To see if they can turn the ship around by the end of the season will be the takeaway for their season, in my opinion, because I think right now 0-3 and it does not show any signs of improving is going to make for a very, very long season. No, it definitely is. And I th- like I said, it's going to be a rough season for them just because I was looking at the receiving core. Nothing really scares me or goes, holy shit, you know, that's, that's going to be a breakout guy. You know, they're scheduled the next couple of games. They've got Cincinnati, Tennessee, Miami, a bye week in uh, week seven. Then they've got Seattle, Buffalo, and Indianapolis. Yeah, so they're going to get really tested, and we'll see what this team is really made of. But like I say, for that division, I just don't think they're going to make a deep run. And I think for anything, let's see how they look for next year. I know it's too early in some people's minds to write them off, but when you're 0-3 and you're not showing any real threat of turning it around, yeah. The season's washed. Yeah, you're 0-3, and you're also dealing with a conference where the AFC East and then the AFC North are both very competitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yep. they got a very, very long road ahead of them. Yep. Uh, switching over to my leap, I chose the Green Bay Packers to defeat the San Francisco 49ers, and if I may borrow a quote from Mark Jackson, Mama, there goes that man. Aaron goddamn Rodgers. Holy shit. Uh, so Green Bay won by the final score of 30-28, to 28, but that was not without some uh, late-game shenanigans uh, from the Packers. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, 22 of 33, 261 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Jimmy Garoppolo, 25 of 40 for 257 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception. You know, but of course, his game came down late, you know. Uh, third, what was it? 37 seconds left, which is still too much goddamn time for Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. I don't care who your defense is. It could be the 85 bears. That's too much damn time. You know, Rodgers and no timeouts too. Yeah. You know, marched down the field, got Mason Crosby. Who's one of the better kickers in the NFL, you know, not Justin Tuck, but Hey, uh, and then Crosby was able to nail the game winning field goal in the final moments and good for the Packers, man. That was a gutsy win. 
To quote the man, how can you not be romantic about football, man? Aaron freaking Rodgers. Packers fans, you have to be ecstatic about this. This was the shades of greatness that you have seen for many, many years. Appreciate what you got. Exactly. He is on that revenge tour like nobody else. Told, I told you it was coming. You know, of course, we all remember week one. You know, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Sky's falling. Oh, my God. Ever since, 516 yards passing and six touchdowns. Oh, by the way, zero interceptions. Exactly. He's looking completely on point, And this is something that for Green Bay – This is a blessing that they have been sorely, sorely needing. Obviously, the offseason drama with Green Bay and the front office has, or the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, rather, has been very well documented. So much so that I bumble it when I say it because it's just been the broken record that just keeps skipping. But to see that Rodgers is focused on getting back to being Aaron Rodgers, we're going to let the season play out what it's going to be, and doing what he can do to help his team win is just a sight for sore eyes. And like you touched upon, Mason Crosby is not Justin Tucker. No. But he is a heck of a kicker. And to see him get that much time to really make something happen to. Like, you can't give great quarterbacks time to work with. And take nothing away from San Francisco. They played a hell of a game. They were not exactly slouches that just you know gave up at the end. No. But it's something when you have the chance to put away a great quarterback like Aaron Rodgers you need to put him away. You can't give any time. As crazy as it sounds, 32 seconds is a lot of time for a great quarterback to work with. Oh, yeah. And we have seen this time and time again where he's gone up and down the sidelines making plays happen that you go, how is he doing this? But this is why Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Nobody else really in the league can do what he does. There are a few people that are on that level, yeah. but to say what Rodgers does is consistently when you give him the ball back, and he wasn't even faced. 32 seconds, I could sit sit there and watch and go, man, this game's a wrap. Mm-hmm. But unless it's 10 seconds with him, and still I'd be a little tentative then too. I'll say yeah, even then. It's just it's not over. And that's one thing that Green Bay will always be in contention with as long as he's at the helmet quarterback. If he's not there, it's a different ball game. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, this is something that you just take away and you have to appreciate while he's there. Whatever's going to happen this offseason with him is going to be whatever happens. But I feel that he is making that statement that if you're writing me off and thinking that I'm gone, I never left. Yeah. I'm not, still here doing yeah. doing what I do better than anybody. Yeah, and I do got to – I know people like to praise the 49ers defense. I do got to call them out a little bit, though, because hmm. as much as Frisco's defense was praised – Y'all should have put a two or three guys on Devontae Adams because the man got targeted 18 times, caught 12 of them for 132 yards, averaged 11 yards of catch and one touchdown. The other one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight men, including Aaron Rodgers himself, who caught a ball on Sunday, caught 11 balls. Devontae Adams caught more balls than the rest of the receiving core. So I think at that point or some point along the line, it becomes pretty goddamn obvious who Rodgers is throwing the ball to. You know, it doesn't take a CPU in Madden on easy mode to figure it out. You know, you really? You didn't, you didn't make a little bit of an adjustment going, hey, why don't we give some help over to that side of the field wherever Devontae Adams is going to be? It's a little puzzling. I, I got to give you that. That I figured they would have doubled up or it came up with a different scheme. But at that stage, too, though, Aaron Rodgers was just turning it on. And the fact that even though Frisco had a great game, and we can't take anything away from Jimmy G, 
Garoppolo, 257, two touchdowns, one interception, but is what is. Played played an absolute masterpiece. Like, they should have had this locked up. But it goes back to that defense needing to adjust to what you're facing. Mm-hmm. And that is a force of nature known as Aaron Rodgers. So it's the Peyton Manning, Tom Brady effect that you just leave too much time, or even old school Roethlisberger. Yeah. You know, you just leave too much time on that clock. Even if you don't have any timeouts, you're screwed. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just something that they need to realize moving forward because in their division that they are in, the NFC West, we have said this time and time again, is the currently the toughest division in American football. No question about it. Seattle, you have Russell Wilson. The L.A. Rams now have Matthew Stafford, who is in MVP conversation. I, it's early MVP conversation. Sure. But he's in that conversation nevertheless. Kyler Murray in Arizona. You have three very, very good quarterbacks that are going to be capable of making a drive somewhat like Rodgers. Yeah. So if you saw the blueprint of what he set up here, you would better make adjustments the next time it's under that two-minute warning and the game is close. If not, you're looking at a repeat of what's going to happen here to a degree. I don't know if the, the three quarterbacks that I just mentioned would be able to pull it off with that much time left. Maybe Wilson? Wilson could. Sta- Stafford is it's between Lockett and Metcalf. Yeah, no, Wilson could. Yeah, this is what I say. He's got a, he's got a better receiving core, in my opinion. That's why I said Stafford might be able to do it, but I, I'm very not sold on the Rams I'll wide say, receiving core. No, I mean, Cooper Cup could do it, but then you'd have to have the entire defense forget he exists on the yeah, field. Yeah, but like I say, I don't, I, for me, I just don't see him as that dominant receiver no. that could take over a game. No. Like, I just, I don't see it in him. Not to say he's not a, a good wide receiver, but if you're saying like a one player that could take over a game. Yeah, like a Randy Moss. Yeah, like I just, I don't see that in his game. Like, I think he can definitely benefit from. He's a, he's a playmaker and he's a difference maker, just he doesn't have that X factor. Right. So for Frisco moving forward, they're going to need to make sure they can lock up that defense, which, I, like I said, played a very solid game for the most part. But when you're letting Aaron Rodgers throw right down the center of the field to get in the field goal position, and it's a wild scenario to see of how quickly he moved the ball to. He was going straight to the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. It wasn't sidelines this time. No. It was just straight middle of the field and then trusting Crosby to make the kick. Yeah. It's scary to think just how precision that was and just Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Moving forward, though, they got a big task ahead of them coming up. Yeah, they do. So uh, this coming Sunday, they are at home playing the Steelers, and after that they play the Bengals, Bears, Washington, Arizona, Kansas City, Seattle, Minnesota, and then the Rams before their bye week in Week 13. Man, it's going to be a lot of tough games ahead of them. But, you yeah. know, they are very winnable, though. Yeah. That's the one thing. When you got Rodgers at the helm. You can pull off that magic. Yeah, and I think the thing you look at Frisco, 2-1 is not a bad start. Obviously, they are looking up at the Cardinals and Rams, and then they're looking down at the Seahawks, who are 1-2. and two. But the thing with that division is, at least up until this point, nobody's played each other. So, yeah. you're, you know, one loss, you know, you're not hurting yourself because it's not a divisional loss. Yeah, and who they got coming up in the next couple weeks? Uh, so, yeah, the next couple weeks, ironically, the whole haven't played a division thing starts stops this coming week mm-hmm. because this coming Sunday they're playing the Seahawks. After that, they're playing the Cardinals. They have their bye week in week six, uh, and then they play Indianapolis. Chicago, Arizona, and then the Rams on Monday Night Football. Yeah, so they're going to get definitely tested to see what they're made of. But I think that if if you want to say this was a good loss, I wouldn't go that far, but I think it gives you a lot to learn from. It wasn't, it wasn't a bad loss. Well, it's tough when you think that you have the game wrapped up. Yeah. Like that's the one takeaway from this, and that's the biggest highlight. It was a very back-and-forth game, Yeah, but Aaron Rodgers went Aaron Rodgers one more time. Mm-hmm. That's the narrative. So have to see what both teams do moving forward from there. Yeah. So let's flip it to my lock. And dare I say, 
God, this is going to be painful saying. How about them Cowboys? Good Lord. Oh, oh. I mean, it helped me with fantasy. That's for It definitely sure. helped in fantasy, but my God, I had a feeling they were going to show up home game, prime time, baby. And man, oh man, did they show up. Eagles fans. How you feeling? Are your Super Bowl tickets on hold right now? Because I remember after week one, people were punching that ticket. I don't know. The more bold one I saw today was the Ravens fan who's getting a tattoo on their leg and then adding a date or something every time with every win this season. Yeah. That's about the only more bold one I've seen. Yeah, I don't know how I can get down with that. But, Pad, you got the stats for this one. Yeah, so this was, of course, the Monday Night Football game. Uh, You had uh, Dallas win by the final score 41-21. to Dak Prescott 21-26 of for 238 yards passing. Three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, Jalen Hurts, 25 of 39 for 326 yards passing, two touchdowns, two interceptions. And then for Dallas on the rushing side, Ezekiel Elliott had a pretty good game, 17 carries, 95 yards, two touchdowns. But, of course, none of this is what anyone's talking about on Monday morning. No, it's Peyton and Eli where Eli flipped the double bird on national television. Uh, I will say it here officially. I posted on my uh, on one of my social media accounts. I take back any negative thing I've ever said about Eli Manning. <laughs> oh my God. I take back any negative thing I've ever said about Eli Manning. We need to protect that man at all costs. That was amazing. That was gutsy. That is a man that just does not care right now. Yeah, no, Eli Manning legitimately, look up the image, uh, was talking to Chris Long, former uh, Eagles player, uh, and he was telling the story about how the first thing Chris Long saw when he got to Philly was a little kid flipping him the double bird. And so Eli Manning proceeded to flip the double bird and goes, we can do that on national TV, right? Oh, they can blur it out. Not live, they can't. Not live TV. Man, oh man, oh man. The biggest takeaway for me for this game, Dak Prescott. Yeah. Great to see him bounce back from that awful injury he suffered last year. And this one you could definitely see, and I know he talked about it post-game too, he was very, very emotional for this game. Mm -hmm. And he definitely was feeling a lot of pressure for it. And he rose to the occasion. He looked very, very good in this game. Yeah, I have to give him his credit for this because – we don't really know how somebody's going to come back from an injury like that, but going 21 for 26, 238, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, and we knew the Cowboys had offense, but they surprised me with their defense. Now, am I ready to write them in as a, a well-balanced team? No. no, I'm not. They have a great offense, but that defense, it proves it can show up, mm-hmm. and it definitely locked in Jalen Hurts. So being able to pull that off, especially in your division, is a good thing. Now, albeit, though, your division is still the NFC East, the worst division in the NFL. True. But it's still a win, nevertheless, and your team looked very good. And like I say, Dak had everything clicking. Yeah. This was a clinic for him, and this really showed what this team is capable of if you give them time to work. And we talk about that balance of run and pass. Dallas has that pretty much as a blueprint. I will give the Cowboys that. Their offense is very, very good when it comes down to really keeping everything balanced. Mike McCarthy does a great job with it. Yeah. But that defense is what's the only thing holding them back from being an elite team. Now, granted, they have addressed it enough Mm -hmm. in the draft, and they're still working on it. So, I mean, they do understand what the problem is. Sure. But even so, they did a great job about shutting down their rivals. And like I say, Philly fan was ready to get Super Bowl tickets right after they beat Atlanta. Yeah. And what do we say about Atlanta? Who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Fucking awful. Exactly. So you can't really punch that ticket just yet. And I will say for Jalen Hurts, not the best game, 
two interceptions. No. But albeit he did throw for over 300 yards, two yeah. touchdowns. Yeah. But they didn't really get a running game going at all. Mm-hmm. And they really got picked apart, which yeah. I'm not saying this is a, a sign to panic. No. I really don't want to say that, especially with how bad the Dallas defense really is in comparison to other teams in the league. Mm-hmm. But this is something that if I am Philly, I'm working on how do we get this ball really moving again. Yeah. Because the fact that you really didn't do anything and got a lot of garbage points, in my opinion, yeah. at the end when the game was already out of reach. Yeah. It's a sign of we need to put some work in. Yeah, no, work's definitely needed. And, uh, you, and you know, you do got to give credit to Dallas defense, you know, shutting down Devontae Smith, three catches, 28 yards, no touchdowns. I was really sweating this game, I'm not going to lie, just because of fantasy football reasons. I, I again, needed Aaron Rodgers to single-handedly, single-handedly will me to another win. And he put me in a good spot, but then the thing I noticed was, oh, shit, you know, my opponent had Devontae Smith going still. He had Tony Pollard, which I was like, yeah, probably not going to sweat me all that much. But then he also had the Dallas kicker. So mm. I was like, so there was enough there that, like, the little percentage chance win thing for my opponent on Yahoo at one point was like 75, 80% for them. And I'm like, I might fucking lose this. Yeah. And the, But then Dallas defense, thank you for shutting down Devontae Smith. And, and uh, Dallas offense, thank you for not really doing all that much in terms of Tony Pollard or the kicker. No, they definitely kept it very balanced. And that's one thing that Cowboys fans, you got to be ecstatic about. I know our guy, Dre Driven, had a lot to say post game. Oh, yeah. A lot. Shout out to him. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. Uh, the video drop that he decided to go after Philly fan, epic. So epic. But for Dallas moving forward, it's a big win, inner division, and we said this on the preview show too. Yeah. You need to win your division if you're in the NFC East. If you do that and beat your fellow rivals in your division, you mm-hmm. will get to the playoffs because your division is so bad, you could go in with a negative record. Yeah. And as long as those are five wins against those other teams. So you got to even say, like, you'll split some with sure. with either Washington or the Giants because it's bound sure. to happen. Sure. Dallas has the tools ready to at least represent this division in the playoffs. They just need in to get theory. better. Yeah, and well, in theory, because while well, I'm looking at Philly right now, and Philly is still in that learning process that I just I, – I haven't seen enough of them to write them in as a top contender in their own division. I'm they're just gonna, I'm, they're going to get a wake up call the next like month. I'll break it down. So this coming week they're facing Kansas City. Mm. At home. Uh after that they travel to Carolina to play the Panthers. After that they're at home playing Tampa Bay. Uh and then after that they're traveling out to Vegas to play the Raiders. That's a very tough task for for Philly. Yeah. Yeah, and then on the flip side for Dallas, they got some interesting. They got they got a couple easy ones, I would say. Uh, they got Carolina next week, then the Giants, uh, and then after that, this should be an interesting test. They've got the Patriots before their bye week in Week Seven, uh, and then after that, they've got some real interesting games, including the likes of after their bye, including the likes of Minnesota, Kansas City, the Raiders, Saints, uh, and then besides the divisional games, they've also got Arizona. Well, like you say, it's going to be a daunting task for them. But if that defense can play solid, and not say shutdown, because I think that would be giving a little too much credit to Dallas' defense, but if they can play solid enough to keep it close, mm-hmm. I trust, I would trust Dak to really put him over the hump. I really would. Sure. I think that he's capable of it, and if you can keep him upright and mobile, he can put points on the board. We see it right here in this game. Mm-hmm. Dropping 41 on a Philly team is still dropping 41. Yeah. So for Dallas moving forward – you live and die by your defense. Your offense is fine, but can your defense play solid? For Philly, on the other hand, you got to get that offensive ball rolling. Yeah, somehow, some way. 
because otherwise some of the teams you're going to be facing you're going to have to get into a shootout with yeah and that, and that's the thing is if you if your game plan is for one guy on to look at towards one guy on on receiving or running and that's just not working you need to adjust yeah and Hertz is going to definitely have his work cut out for him but i i think he will pan out very well sure but i think that he just needs to get some kind of help and some playmakers to really make some plays because otherwise I fear you're going to see a repeat of this game, but with some other teams yeah. down the road, especially Kansas City coming up. Yeah. And coming off a bad loss, too. Yeah. I mean, maybe they just need, like, a veteran guy in there. Not anything like a huge playmaker, like, oh, my God, this is a difference, but just, like, a veteran presence in there. They're like, hey, listen, I've been down this road. Here's what we should do. Well, it definitely could help them. I mean, that's either way, to get somebody in there to really show them how to do it, it would be truly helpful at this stage. Yeah. But let's switch things over to my leap. Sure. And – Dare I say, the team that we said could be a sleeper in that AFC North showed up big, 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 and big. Mm-hmm. How about those Cincinnati Bengals, Pat? It's a phrase I never thought I'd hear. It's 2021, man. It's a weird year. This is true. But holy smokes, did they ever show up for this one? Inner division against those mm-hmm. Pittsburgh Steelers. In Pittsburgh. Break it down for us. Yeah, so Cincinnati traveled down to Pittsburgh. Like you said, divisional game early means a lot. You know, could mean if, whether they make the playoffs or not down the road. You never know. Uh, Cincinnati won by the final score of 24 to 10. Uh, Joe Burrow, uh, 14 of 18 for 172 yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception. Ben Roethlisberger, 38 of, holy shit, 58. Mm-hmm. 318 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. Had reread that Roethlisberger attempts line for uh, me. Three completions, 38 completion, completions, excuse me, uh, for 58 attempts. 58 attempts. Do you see the problem here? My entire, if I attempted 58 passes, I would need like my entire arm reconstructed. That's insane. This is not Steeler and football. Like, and he's like 40. Exactly. What the shit? This was a very telling sign to me about the temp in the room with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Also the temp in the room and how they feel with their running game? Well, this is not typical Steeler football in my opinion. Steeler football has been punched the ball up the middle and really play smash mouth. I mean, can they pass? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. But it's a balanced offense. But if you're telling me Roethlisberger at this stage in the game throwing 58 attempts is going to win you a game. When's the last time you saw Tom Brady throw that many? Christ. Oy. Like, I, I'm sitting here just watching, especially a lot of the passes he was making were forced. Sure. They were not crisp. Sure. Najee Harris, you gave 14 carries for 40 yards. Average 2.9. Something is wrong with his stats here. Yeah, that's the guy you drafted to, you know, you let James Conner go. Obviously, Le'Veon Bell's not coming back for that door anytime soon. So this is your guy that, like, you drafted super early in the draft. Like, your first-round draft, this is your guy. This is your running back. Mm -hmm. And you only give him 14 carries? That's the whole point. Like, I understand the game was – I'm not saying it was getting away from him. Because obviously at halftime it was fourteen seven. Sure, it's so, one score. You're still in. You're still in good possession. You're still in there. But that third quarter, Cincinnati dropped another ten on you. So I could understand that. But you're still in this game. It's not like this is a shutout, and you you have to pass every time. Yeah. This was just so puzzling to me to watch as a fan because, like I say, Steeler football is smash mouth. Mm-hmm. It's running. It's not doing this aerial attack like it's the old-school Arizona Cardinals. 
Yeah. And especially Roethlisberger at this age, I'm not saying you need to make a quarterback switch. But I think that if the Steelers haven't really established a plan B for Roethlisberger, they definitely need to address it this offseason, if not the draft. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I'm, I'm even looking at the play-by-plays, you know, all plays uh, from ESPN.com. Uh, their first possession was a three-and-out for a punt. Then it was an, Their next one was a three-and-out for a punt. Uh, after that was an interception, punt. They finally scored a touchdown, made it 7-7. Uh, after that, you know, Cincinnati came back and, and answered them to make it 14-7. Then Pittsburgh punted. Then you get to the halftime. Coming out of the half, Cincinnati got a field goal. Then you had an interception from Pittsburgh. Touchdown Cincinnati to make it 24-7. Missed field goal from Pittsburgh. Field goal from Pittsburgh to make it uh, 24-10. Turnover on downs, you know, and then turn another turnover on down. So they just could never get anything going, it looks like. And to your point, yeah, they might need to look at something just because Ben Roethlisberger, who is not the Ben Roethlisberger of all this. Facts. This is well documented. And if you don't believe that, you're drinking some sort of Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. You know, throwing 58 times just it is not a viable option for him. You know, it just won't work. And, and what you do, I wasn't. I don't trust Mason Rudolph. I don't either. Like, you know, I, they do have Dwayne Haskins listed on as their third-string quarterback, so maybe? I don't know. It's just something that they're going to need to address moving forward. Now, am I saying do you bench Ben? No. I'm not saying you do that right now. But I'm saying if you're going to be relying on him at this stage in his game to be throwing over 50 attempts and still think you're going to win a game, I'm sorry, that's just not going to happen. Not in your division. I mean, the, that decision might be coming up sooner than you think, though. Break it down. Uh, so their next game is in, in Green Bay playing the Packers. Mm-hmm. After that, they play Denver. Then they play Seattle. Then they go out a bye week in week seven. Coming out of the bye week, they play Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, Chargers, and then the Bengals again on the 28th of November. So they do have a couple tough tasks coming yeah, on. Yeah. The Rodgers game, that'll be a very interesting one. Yeah. But... I'm not saying that they can't turn it around, but I think what Pittsburgh really needs to do is sit there and find their identity again. Uh-huh. And no matter what, if you're only running the ball 14 times yeah. with your number one draft pick, there is a problem. Yeah, Green Bay, I don't think they're going to win. You know, so that's a, that's 0-1, so that would push them to 1-3. and three. Mm-hmm. Denver, I could uh, Denver, I could see them beating, you know, so that will put them to 2-3. and three. Seattle, I don't see them beating, so that will push them to 2-4. and four. So you're going into your bye week 2-4, and four, you know, and then you got them, that, that Chicago game's on Monday night. So you could be looking at them fans calling for a change by mon- that Monday night game. Possibly. Because I'll tell you what, I don't want to even address the Chicago game. Yeah. Because of how atrocious it was. Oh, we're going to get there. But if Pittsburgh doesn't pull off that W there, then it's time to hit the panic. Mm-hmm. Just going to say there. But listen, let's give credit where credit is due. Joe Burrow managed that game very well. 172 yards, three touchdowns, one interception that really wasn't his fault. Yeah. You know, obviously collision, ball goes flying. But I will say this, rookie of the year candidate already, Jamar Chase. Uh Uh-huh. 65 yards, two touchdowns, and giving the Bengals a little bit of swagger that this team, I think, is thriving on. Because they're young, they're underdogs in a lot of people's minds. Yeah. And you know what? They are stepping up and really giving teams fits. And this is something we were addressing a little bit, too, in the pre-show mm-hmm. or the preview of the season. But they're backing up that talk. you got you got to figure that you know the locker room is feeding off their energy because, as we know, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase 
both played together at LSU, so they've got that repertoire. They've got that relationship built. And when you're winning and you, and you got two guys who are having fun and playing well, you just inevitably feed off of that energy. You know, and they're and they're both doing very well. I mean, Joe Burrow for the season has six hundred and forty yards, seven touchdowns, which is tied for fifth in the NFL. Mm. Only four interceptions, which is tied for thirtieth in the NFL. And then uh Jamar Chase, like you said, having a rookie of the year candidate season, uh eleven catches this year, two hundred and twenty yards receiving, four touchdowns, which is tied for second in the NFL. Yeah, he's balling right now. And it's fun to watch them. I will say this. Even Joe Mixon, I mean he granted he's still healthy. Because I know he's had a little injury, yeah, injury yeah. bugs throughout the past couple of years. He is still playing at a high level right now. 90 yards to balance that offense out. That's what you need if you're going to contend. Yeah, Joe Burrow, or not Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase has not played a game in the NFL where he hasn't scored a touchdown. Yeah. Literally. It's a wild stat, but it's literally, true. Literally, first game, one touchdown. Second game, one touchdown. Third game, two touchdowns. You can't go wrong with that. Cincinnati, you got to be extremely happy about that. And moving forward, I mean, if this team stays healthy, they're going to contend for a playoff spot. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, they got maybe some, they division. Got, they got some tough tasks. They do have. They do play uh, Green Bay, uh, Baltimore, and then they've also got uh, Vegas, and then the Chargers, uh, and then obviously, uh, and then they got Kansas City towards the end of the year, and that's not even counting their other divisional games. Well, like I say, it all rides on Joe Burrow, but he's really changed that culture right now. They're playing lights out. And the defense has been stepping up too. Like I think they're all you know get lost in the shuffle of headlines, mm-hmm. but they're hitting hard. They're making smart plays. Listen, the Bengals are not a joke. No, they're definitely going to be in that playoff contention talk if they stay healthy. That's the biggest X factor with this team. But I'm telling you right now, from what I've seen in three games, you gotta like them. Mm-hmm. You really do. So, Pat, let's take a quick trip around the league. Where do you want to start talking first? Let's talk about the Bears. You want to avoid that situation. I want to, I want to get there. I want to go there because oh. this fucking team is god-fucking-awful. So, Chicago played the Cleveland Browns on Sunday, or if you're a WWE fan, uh, Seth Rollins' Bears played Johnny Gargano's uh, Cleveland Browns. Like it. Oh uh, Yeah, I do too. Uh, Cleveland won by the final score of 26-6. to Baker Mayfield, 19-31 of for 246 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, on rushing, and I, there's a reason I haven't gotten to Chicago yet. Uh, rushing, you had Nick Chubb, 22 carries, 84 yards, no touchdowns. Kareem Hunt had 10 carries, 81 yards, no t- uh, one touchdown. And then receiving, you had Odell Beckham Jr. making his return after his, what was it, ACL injury? Mm-hmm. Uh, five catches, 77 yards, no touchdowns. Kareem Hunt had uh, six catches, 74 yards, no touchdowns. You know, So they're doing real well. And then there are the Bears. Uh, Justin Fields, six completions on 20 attempts for 68 yards. Uh, averaged 3.4 yards uh, per pass. No touchdowns or interceptions. You had David Montgomery on the running game, 10 carries for 34 yards, uh, no touchdowns, 3.4 yards uh, per rush. Uh, And then on the receiving core, you had Allen Robinson II as your leading receiver, two catches, 27 yards. Uh, David Montgomery, two catches, 21 yards. Uh, Cole Matt, one catch, 11 yards. Darnell Mooney, one catch, nine yards. And then that's the and then that's the end. Uh, Jimmy Graham did get one uh, uh, target. Not gonna lie, didn't even know he was still playing for them. Yeah. Uh, and then you had Marquise Goodwin uh, targeted one time, but did not catch. For a team, uh, the Bears averaged 1.1 yards per play, which is either, from what I read, the lowest or second lowest uh, yards per play average by a team in NFL history. 
I'm trying to find the words, and I really don't have anything good to say. It's bad. It's bad. I don't even care they got one win. It's bad. I'm wondering how the fuck they got that one. This team is just abysmal to watch. Mad Nagy. I'm not saying somebody should be getting fired, but has definitely needing to be feeling the heat of the hot seat. If there's a repeat of performance about that, like with that stat line, he is gone. You have to be. I'm sorry. In being a coach of a professional American football team, you need to put points on the board. You need to show some signs of life in your offense. And I don't care that they started the rookie. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Justin Fields, I'm not putting this on him. He's a rookie. We understand that. In that case, if he's struggling that bad, you pull him and you have a backup that you can go to. Well, then at this point, you know, looking at their depth chart on ESPN, Dalton is listed as questionable, so is Fields. Uh, You've got Nick Foles as their third-string quarterback, and I know Nagy said that uh, on Sunday, or or maybe it was Monday, that all quarterbacks are in play to start on Sunday. And at this point, I think you have to put the janitor in play to start on Sunday because, holy shit, they're bad. They're awful. You have to switch the quarterbacks, and it's not fair to Fields. I will say that. If Dalton's ready to go, put him in. Yeah. that That's probably your best chance to salvage something at this point. Yeah. But coming off this game, like I don't even understand how you can try justifying you showed up for it. You, you didn't. You, you didn't. Like, Nagy just completely looked lost out there. And I'm sorry, this it's nothing to take away from the Browns. The Browns did what they needed to do in this yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. But my God, man. No, they have to get it turned around by next week because I think they're playing Detroit next week, and, and Detroit's not real good either. They're 0-3. They put up, they gave up 41 points to San Francisco, 35 points to Green Bay, 19 points. They almost beat Baltimore, you know, mm-hmm. were it not for Justin Tuck, Tucker's, you know, robotic leg. You know, they have to beat Detroit and win against Detroit because if they don't, Nagy's got to go. Oh, it's absolutely awful. Because, I mean, because it, it is now a literal deer in a headlights situation, and I don't think he knows what the hell he's doing. I don't either. I think that this is just one of the worst coaching performances I think I've witnessed, in my opinion, and you got to make a change if you're Chicago. Like, I'm sorry, if you come out this lackluster next week, it's a, it's a wrap. Your season's wash. I don't care if you're 1-3. It's going to be a wash after next week if they come out this flat because they'll lose outright. I, I almost would take the lock there, but I, I'm going to hold off on that until later. But, man, Chicago played abysmal. Yeah, no, they did. I mean, I'm looking at the stats. In terms of total offense, they are last in the NFL in terms of total offense, last in terms of passing yards, and then they are uh, they're in the they're in the middle for in terms of rushing yards. They're averaging about 101 yard rushing yards per game. I mean, the only worst performance this weekend was those New York Giants. Yeah, that's true. Because I'm sorry, you got beat by Atlanta. Yeah. I don't even know if I, <laughs> if I have the stomach to even go through that. But either way, there's a lot of bad teams in this NFL season. And mm-hmm. I know it's early, but now that you're starting to see the cream rise to the top, Buffalo had a great win against Washington. Yeah. And that's another team that, listen, the Bills did what they needed to do because they beat a team that is not good. And I'm sorry, Washington is not good. They play in a Washington's bad Washington's decent if, if it's Patrick's there, but, well, he's not. Well, right. That's the whole point. So for the Bills to get a big win, and 43 to 21 is a big win, but then they did the one fault that I saw against the Pittsburgh game. Mm hmm. They got up to a big lead, and then they took the foot off the gas, and they let Washington get back in. Yeah. Now, kudos to Buffalo. I will say this. You at least learned from that mistake, and you poured it on the second half. That's what you need to do 
when you're facing a team that's not on your level. Mm-hmm. You can't take any team too lightly in this league. Otherwise, you will be the ones with losses, and you'll be the ones staring at everybody else in the playoffs. But Josh Allen had a great game, so I can't be too mad about that. You know, 358 yards, four touchdowns. They ran crazy on Washington. And Washington, like I said, is a serviceable team. But let's face it, they're not in that upper echelon. And this is what good teams need to do moving forward. So for the Bills, it was a huge win. Even those Raiders, yeah, we can't sleep on Vegas. We definitely have to mention them. I know they went to overtime with Miami. Yeah, they did. But still, they got the W. And one thing that I know if you talk to a guy, Rich, over at 3FN, he'll tell you, if the Raiders play consistent, they can hang with anybody in the league. They, I don't want to say they took Miami too lightly, but I kind of got that vibe. Yeah. I mean, Miami is not a good team no, and, right and, now. And two was out for a couple of games, so Jacoby Brissett is their starter, you know, who went 32 of 49, 215, no touchdowns or interceptions. You know, so, and listen, I've watched Jacoby Brissett play football. You know, he, he started a game for New England when Brady was suspended. Mm. He's not the flashiest guy, so this is a guy that you should be able to beat easily. Right, but this is one of those situations where the Raiders came off two very big emotional wins. Yeah. And obviously... You have to come down from that a little bit, and I think that this was a game that could have been a trap game for him. Could be. Because Miami is not good, and obviously with a backup quarterback now as your starter, not the best look, but they held on to win. So, I mean, you have to look at this from the bright side. You're 3-0. and You're tied for the division lead. I keep forgetting that Denver is 3-0. and uh, Yeah, they're, they're flying very much under the radar. Yeah, because, well, they've had to play some very, very easy teams, in my opinion. So yeah, I'm, teams I'm, are combined like 0-9. Yeah, I'm not really sold on Denver just yet, but I am sold on the Raiders. This was a good win for them because at least it showed they could win gritty against a and get the job done. This was not a good team. They should have ran a little higher up on them, but still, they got the W. Had they lost, it would have been a different story. Because then I would say they completely took them too lightly. But if the Raiders can put these wins together, I'm telling you, Kansas City is not exactly the crown lock-in number one seed that we thought they were. They're looking a little vulnerable. They're looking vulnerable. The Raiders gave everybody the blueprint. The Chargers took advantage of it this Mm -hmm. week. Albeit, though, the Chargers almost did Chargers things. Yeah. But true. I will say this. Their coach had ice water in his veins late. Because the fact they went for it when they could have got the field goal to tie everything and just the stones, man, I can't stress that enough. Mm -hmm. They really showed me that maybe the culture might be changing a little bit. I'm not fully ready to crown them yet. Brandon Staley, though, has definitely made an impact on this team thus far. And like I say, the Chargers being 2-1, and they should be 3-0, and yeah. but they, they were so undisciplined against Dallas last week, it's not even funny. But this was a huge win for them, and for Kansas City, I'm telling you, they are showing out the gate that they might not be the Super Bowl favorites we all thought they were. Patrick Mahomes has looked a little shaky. Mm-hmm. Teams are you know picking up on their offense a little bit more than I thought they were going to do. And this is going to be a very interesting test for the Chiefs moving forward because the Chargers were already saying we didn't think they were going to get anywhere. Yeah. But they might be a contender in that division as well. And if Kansas City's outside looking in, who would have saw this coming in this yeah, league? Well, and Kansas City's going to get real interesting soon because as soon as he's available to play, Josh Gordon is joining the Chiefs. Yeah, I don't know how – it, but that's, I, that's interesting. It's interesting, but it's like, why? 
why would the Chiefs pick him up? And I'm not saying anything against him because he's a dynamic player. Yeah, why not? But your offense is already loaded. It's and I just don't see him being the answer to really get you back on track. Low risk, high reward. Well, that is true. I mean, I will give you that. So it's just another rich get richer moment here with him. If he can stay on the field, it's it'd be a perfect fit for him. But I also look at it like, well, that's not your problem right now per se. Your offensive schemes are what's the problem. Mm-hmm. Like you can have all the great players in the world you want, but if you don't show up on the field yeah. and you play very inconsistent, which they have been doing lately, it's a different ball game. So a lot of storylines coming out of this week, man. It's an interesting time to be an NFL fan, but we gave you our picks. Now how about you give us yours? What is your reactions to this past week's NFL action? We definitely want to know. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod on all our social media accounts and let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast and time to talk some UFC action. Yeah. UFC 266 was this past weekend live from Las Vegas at the T-Mobile Arena, and there are a lot of storylines coming out of this, so let's talk that main card recap, Pat. Yeah, so the first fight you had on the main card was in the women's flyweight division between Jessica Andrade and Cynthia Calvillo, where you had Andrade emerge victorious, knocking out Cynthia in the first round. Andrade looked impressive. She's definitely bouncing back from her loss against Shevchenko. Came in there with a game plan and really established her will. Like She looked super, super impressive. Uh, and then uh, next up, you had the heavyweight division matchup uh, between uh, Rosenstruck and then Curtis Blades. And you had Blades emerge victorious by unanimous decision. All three judges scoring the bout 30-27. Blades took Rosenstruck down, and this was just a one-sided affair. The, yeah. This is a situation where Rosenstruck needs to develop a ground game or some kind of like focus on his wrestling Mm -hmm. for his next fight because he just did not look the part that he was comfortable with and blades just did a smart game plan with it like i said i I can't be mad about how he broke it down because it made sense and it definitely was something that threw rosenstruck off Mm -hmm. and obviously this is a huge win for him so maybe we're talking title implications down the road i don't know but it could happen but that's not the big headline, though, coming out of this one. No, so the next fight was in the middleweight division between Robbie Lawler and Nick Diaz. Of course, we talked about how long ago it had been since they last fought in the last show. Uh, you had Robbie Lawler emerge victorious, knocking out Nick Diaz 44 seconds into the third round. Okay, so this was a little puzzling for me. And obviously, I was doing a little live tweeting about this on OD Parlay Hour on Twitter. Diaz came out... And won the first round. And we got to note, too, like as soon as we finished last week's episode, the fight got moved to, to the middleweight division, uh, I, guess, I guess at the request of Diaz's camp. Yes. This was something because Nick just came out and he didn't look like Nick of old. Mm-hmm. Like he, he definitely looked, obviously he hasn't fought because of his suspension and his yeah. first time he's fought back in a few years. Yeah. But he just did not really look, 
I don't want to say amped for the fight, but usually like there was a little more emotion. That's the vibe I got off of him. He did an interview with ESPN that I, you know, a video interview with ESPN that they were asking him questions and he's just like, well, didn't have any energy that like, I, no, I wasn't expecting like Conor McGregor levels of like yelling and amping and jumping and this and that. But like, he just seems so nonchalant and laid back. And, you know, at one point the, the interviewer reporter asked him a question and he literally just shrugged his shoulders like he didn't even have an answer, which I get is typical Diaz, but it seemed off for him. It definitely seemed off. Like it was just not really all there with him. And you could definitely tell in that first round, Nick won, though. Nick won the first round outright because he forced Robbie to have a boxing match with him. And obviously this is a big rematch from them. I mean, we talked about it on the last week's show. There has been a lot of time that their paths have not crossed, but they should have a long time ago. But to see him run it back now – Nick got the upper hand in that first round, and then the second round, Robbie turned it on, and I was surprised at how well he boxed with Nick. Mm-hmm. I was very surprised with it. And then when we got to the third round, it was just an awkward moment because Robbie caught Nick with a left, mm. and all of a sudden Diaz goes down. Lawler is sitting there screaming at him, get up. Get up. Right. And Nick just kind of sits there and goes, nah, I'm good. Hmm. And he just sits. So they call it a, a stoppage because of TKO, but it was just so weird. And obviously Nick is, you know, a very interesting character, to put it mildly. Yeah. We love him here. But he just was like, no, nah, I'm not feeling this fight, and I'm out. Hmm. It, like, that's the vibe I got. And I remember watching it with – Dog, you know, our friend from the uh, podcast here, and he was just saying the same thing I did. We're like, what just happened? Yeah. It was like Nick got in there, had a change of heart during mid-match, and just said, no, nah, I'm good. I, I think something, because I don't know when the interview with ESPN was filmed, I'm thinking something, he was obviously in for the fight because, like his brother Nate, they don't just take any fight they that, you know, the UFC comes to him with. They mm. won't They won't fight Joe Schmo. You know, who's not a ranked fighter. Like, it's got to mean something. They got to be up for the fight. So, obviously, Nick was up for the fight and amped for the fight when he agreed to it. I'm thinking something maybe along the way during training camp changed his mind about things. Because, you know, we finished last week's show. And then, like, literally as I was hitting the upload button, I I saw the thing from Ariel Helwani saying that the fight had been moved to the middleweight division. And then a couple days later, it came out that it was at the request of Diaz's camp. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking something along the way happened where obviously he was not able to make the weight they originally agreed to. Requested the change. Lawler agreed to it. I'm thinking there, whatever the reason is for Diaz needing the the weight class change, and I'm not going to sit here and speculate what it is because, let's face it, I don't know Diaz. Nobody understands the Diaz brothers other than themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking something along the way happen where like maybe they just you know couldn't it was tougher than he thought or whatever it ends up being and he just wasn't feeling it because like i said that interview seemed off he didn't seem his usual self well the only thing about nick is he's such a you know a puzzle in his own right Mm -hmm. you never know what he's thinking you never know what he gets up for i think he's going to come back but i think that he wasn't happy he was fighting lawler I think he was expecting to get a different opponent. I know there was some talk about him versus Usman, but listen, that was never going to happen. No, God, I'm, no. I'm sorry. As much as Nick is box office, 
there there was no way he was jumping Usman the line. Would, Usman would tear him apart. At this stage in the game, hell yeah, he would. It wouldn't even be funny. Like, I'm sorry, there's no sizzle to that fight at all. This is like putting a little leaguer up to bat against, you know, Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton. Like, it ain't fair. No, it's definitely not fair at all. And it's just something that Nick has to understand at this stage in the game. The fight world has moved on without him. It's not the same. He's still an attraction, though. Like I said, he's still box office. You can put him on any card, and you know that he will show up. But the question was... What did he want to prove with this fight? And that's the thing that, for me, as a as a fan of his, I just was left very lackluster. Only, like I was only thing I think he might have wanted to prove is that he still got it, but he didn't do that here. You know, he retired in the third round. And if I'm the UFC, I'm going to be a little hesitant to give him another fight because why am I going to waste a, another fighter's time and tie them up for you know five, six months, whatever it ends up being for the training camp? If you're just going to bail halfway through the fight because you don't feel it. See, here's what I'll, I'll counter with this. I think the UFC does bring him back. In fact, I think that they give him Jorge Masvidal. I mean, I don't doubt them bringing him back. I'm not saying they're not going to bring him back, but I'm saying I think they're going to be a little more hesitant because, hey, we gave you an opportunity with this and you bailed on us halfway through. Well, I think it also depends, too, if he really feels motivated like that's the one thing which you have to understand with nick i don't think he got up for this fight i think that he was like yeah i'm back but he might he might have been initially but then, then more time went on he wasn't as excited about it as yeah he, he, he just soured which yeah, he, could be. which you saw just his body language in that fight he just soured about it it's sad to see yeah but i like i said i don't think he goes out that way I think he comes back. I think you give him a fight that does not have anything to do with title implications. George Napier. No, I'm kidding. Well, you know what was weird? They they saw each other and hugged. I heard that. That yeah. was so surreal, man. I could not even believe I was watching that. But let alone, here we are. So it's a, it's a, it was interesting to see how this all played out. Like I said, I was disappointed of how it ended and for where he goes from here. Like You have to make a... I don't like saying the word freak show fight. Yeah. But you have to do something where... It has to be an attraction. It has to be an attraction. Because he's not going to fight for a belt anytime soon. No, there's no chance he's going to fight for the belt. Like I said, you give him a Masvidal where there's a little hype there. Yeah, you could. You could always try having him versus Connor because, well, that would always be something as well, too. But other than that, you can't give him anybody in in top contention. I'm sorry, it's just (laughs) not there. And for Robbie... Man, I don't know where he goes from here because I know he would love to keep going, but... But he's also 39. He turned 39 back in March. He's not getting any younger. Way too much tread on the tires yeah, I mean, at this his, stage. Up before this past weekend, like I mentioned last week, his last win was in 2017. Yeah, so I just, I, I don't see it happening for him. No. But, you know, crazier things have happened. So. This is true. But next up, though... Uh, that was This was the co-main event, and this was for the Women's Flyweight uh, Division Championship where Valentina Shevchenko was defending her belt against Lauren Murphy, uh, and you had Shevchenko emerge victorious, knocking out Murphy uh, in the fourth round. You know, we always talk about Amanda Nunez being the GOAT of female MMA, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. She uh-huh. is amazing. Shevchenko is right up there. She's in the conversation. She's in the conversation. You, you got to leave her space on that women's MMA Mount Rushmore. Oh, absolutely. You have to. She is impressive to watch if you are into the sport and how she puts fight plans together. Mm-hmm. I mean, she might not be the big interview quotable fighter that we see in 
some other fighters in sure. mixed martial arts, but sure. she is somebody that goes in the cage and is just so clinical about how she dissects an opponent. It also reminds me on a flip side of like Demetrius Johnson, right? Just how great they are, but they're not somebody that's going to generate us so much buzz that it takes over social media. But I will say this: I will always watch a Shevchenko fight, yeah, because she came in this fight. And she tore apart Lauren Murphy. And Murphy is a good fighter. Oh, yeah. But this was just a whole different level of dissection. And where we go from here, honestly, it's that stage where Shevchenko is like Nunez. Mm-hmm. That whoever you want to throw in front of me, it any, doesn't any time, matter. Any place. Yeah. Like I said, I, I don't know how you're going to get people to jump up and maybe get somebody from the strawweight division you to step up. You almost have to. You gotta do something, but and just Shevchenko was in a, a whole different level because she's now in twenty five professional matches, twenty two and three, with the only blemishes on her record being two losses uh, to Amanda Nunes, which hey, like we said, ain't nothing to really cry about, and then the only other loss is a TKO doctor stoppage to Liz Carmouche in twenty ten, where I was looking at uh, Shevchenko's Wikipedia page, was from an illegal upkick, which yeah. ca- which caused a nasty cut on her face. Yeah. So, like I say, it's a very interesting thing to see where this is all going to play out. But Shevchenko, dominant yet again, queen of the flyweights, yeah. and, right, and rightfully so. Man, I, I'll tell you this. I just don't know who is going to take that belt from her. I really don't right now. I know somebody eventually will. Yeah. But right now we are seeing a very, very dominant champion and a reign that should be studied because she is literally going in there and just clinically dissecting yeah. her opponents. Like, I can't stress that enough. Like, that is literally how it feels watching her fight. She is just so technical. Mm-hmm. It's not even funny. But then we get to the main event. Yeah, this was for the uh, UFC featherweight division championship between Alexander Volkanovsky, who was defending his belt against Brian Ortega. And you had Volkanovsky emerge victorious, defeating Ortega uh, in unanimous decision, 49-46, 50-45, and 50-44. I will say the highlights for me from this match. One, Brian Ortega came out doing a purge uh, homage. Okay. Very cool intro. Then we get into the cage, and then you see how good Volkanovski is. And we know that he definitely has been making his place in history in the featherweight division Mm -hmm. since he won the belt. He's fought everybody they've thrown in front of him. He's getting better every time we see him. Say, so I'm looking at his prof- his uh, mixed martial arts record. Uh, he made a middleweight, no feather. He made his featherweight debut for Australian FC uh, back on the 17th of May, 2014. The man has not lost a featherweight matchup. Yeah, the only loss on his record was to a gentleman by the name of Corey Nelson. This was in an Australia FC event back in May of 2013. Uh, and this was in the uh, AFC welterweight tournament quarterfinal. So that was a welterweight matchup. Yeah. The man has not lost at featherweight. He looks absolutely incredible. And ever since he beat Max Holloway in 2019. Back to back. Yeah. He looks so freaking dominant right now. Mm-hmm. It's scary. And take nothing away from Brian Ortega. Because he is a definite contender for that belt. He is definitely on that level where he could win this belt at some point. Just he's running into the wrong guy. But he's running into the wrong person no matter what. I mean, we we talk about his fight against Max Holloway, 
where, let's face it, that was a fight that it took him a while to come back from. If you want to take a look between fights with him, Pat, Mm -hmm. the beating that he received from Holloway was something insane. Yeah. That we saw him come back against the Korean zombie. Korean zombie, well, unanimous decision. Yes, but, I mean, we talk about the time frame there. Yeah. it's We're talking how many months? Uh, so the Max Holloway loss was on December 8th of 2018 at UFC 231. His next fight against Korean zombie was on a UFC fight night card uh, on October 8th, 2020. Yeah. That's how much of so, a... So almost two years. That's just how much of a, of, of a beating he took in that fight. And this is just something to see him bounce back and get into the title picture was truly something to see. Yeah. But once he got in these this round with Volkanovski, you just saw he's just not there yet. And it's weird for me to say because mm-hmm. I do think he's there, but he just was not getting it put together, and you saw Volkanovski take over. And then we get to arguably the greatest third round I have ever seen in MMA history. And that's saying something. Mm-hmm. Because this is where we mentioned before, Brian Ortega shines. He had Volkanovski in three tight submissions. The man's face turned purple, Mm -hmm. Pat. Volkanovski didn't tap. Volkanovski's a different animal, man. He didn't pass out. You can see the video of Israel Adesanya watching this and reacting. Mm -hmm. That was literally my reaction, too. Like, I was losing my mind because Ortega finally got a chance to do some jujitsu and got him in a guillotine choke. And you see Volkanovski going on, and that thing was tight. Like, there was yeah. no question of that. And then you just see Volkanovski just never lost focus, even though his face was so dark purple. It was scary. Yeah. He gets out of it. Then Ortega transitions into another submission attempt. And still, Volkanovski gets out of it. Whole crowd is going nuts. Everybody watching is going crazy. Volkanovski gets over him in the top position. Ortega's working guard off his back. He slaps a triangle choke on him. Jesus. Yeah. And still, Volkanovski does not tap. He's different. He's different, man. He's built different. He was so focused and not willing to re- give up his will. He got out of it, and he started raining bombs down. Some of the nastiest shots I've seen from the top position. Well, you have to at that point because you know how close you just came to losing. Right, but he still was throwing hands this entire fight, but he was just raining down on him. That that At that, the end of the third round, the fact that it, it didn't get stopped because I thought it was going to get stopped, mm-hmm. Volkanovski knew he had this fight in the bag. Ortega was just wearing that fight on him, and that is literally when he shot his final shot. He had nothing left in that fourth round. I want to say that for record. He was gassed. He was spent. He was wearing the fight. He got more punishment. Right. However, I don't know where he got it from, but Ortega won that fifth round, Mm. in my opinion. He came back. He looked strong. He was hitting shots. He was hitting combos. It was absolutely insane. But nevertheless, Volkanovski gets the decision I would say I thought it was going to go split, to be honest with you, because I thought the first round could have gone back and forth. Sure. But so the judges saw it otherwise. Yikes. Yeah, I know. I, I don't agree with the judges scoring in that one. I really, really struggle with that. I think that they were completely off the base, the 50 to 44. Sure. I thought, listen, you're really pushing things here. I thought it was closer to the 49-46 route, but nevertheless, that's why you don't leave it in the hands of the judges. 
Now the question is where do both go from here? Yeah. Volkanovski, I have a feeling, is going to be fighting the winner of Max Holloway's next fight against Yair Rodriguez. Mm, that would make sense because uh, I'm looking at the rankings. Uh, Holloway is the number one ranked fighter, and then Rodriguez is number three. But I will tell you this. I don't want to see that fight again. No. I really don't. No. I Like, granted, I love Max. Max is a fantastic fighter. But I just don't know if he can handle Volkanovski. So give him Korean Zombie. He hasn't fought Korean Zombie before. Well, right, but he just lost. So you yeah. can't you can't do that based yeah. off rankings. <laughs> Listen, rankings in UFC matter as much as, as about they do in AEW. Right, but you have to really justify it on this one, though. That that's I, I understand what you're saying with that, and I don't disagree. But in this case, I think you can't do that jump. I think, though, it's going to be Max again. Yair Rodriguez, unless he pulls off a crazy upset like he did against Korean Zombie, ironically. Yeah, yeah. I just don't see him getting the job done. I mean, I'm looking at uh, Volkanovski's record. He has not faced Yair Rodriguez, so well, that could be something. But, no, I, I don't want him to see him face Holloway again because he literally beat him twice in a row. Yeah. So I don't know where you go with that if the UFC wants to make that fight. But then after that, hypothetically saying, let's say he beats Max. Mm-hmm. Where does Max go? You have three title chances to get him. You couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Like yeah. the, the, the it's uh, it's a bad thing to say, but it's true. And I and I don't see either one of those gentlemen dropping weight. No. And Max, we saw a fight at 155. He did not look good. So I don't know where he goes from there. And I'll be very honest. I don't know where Brian Ortega goes from here. Do I think he's got another run in him for the title? Yeah, I do. I fully do. Would I have him fight pending medical suspensions, even though I think that we're looking at another lengthy one for Ortega? Mm-hmm. I would have him fight the loser of Rodriguez and Holloway. I mean, he's absolutely got another run at him. He's only 30 years old. Right. but Still at, got some time. It's still got some time, but at this stage, too, what can you do? You've had two title fights where you have not looked good in. Sure. And I'm not saying he's a bad fighter. I want to stress this. He's a very good fighter. But where do you step up that level and really get over the hump? Like, that's going to be the question. Because if you have to fight Volkanovski again, I think it's going to go the same way. Maybe. In fact, I think it could go even worse. But if you can get in there with a Max Holloway, maybe get some, you know, you know, go in there and learn from the first time you fought him, I think there's a good shot there. And, I mean, Rodriguez would be the complete wild card of, of all. If he can upset Holloway and upset Volkanovski, I mean, crazier things have happened in the sport. Yeah. But there's a lot of questions coming out of this one that we're going to have to wait to see how the cards fall with the UFC. That was UFC 266, but Pat, I know you got a couple other stories we want to talk about. Yeah, so there's a couple glaring stories I feel like we got to talk about, especially given where we live. Uh, the first of which was John Jones was arrested again. Color me shocked. Uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, after we recorded the episode last week, John Jones was arrested out in Vegas. I think it was the like the night of or like right after the UFC Hall of Fame event. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, alleged details have come out, uh, reading from an article on ESPN.com, uh, which reads, quote, an arrest report released Tuesday by Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department lays out the sequence of events that led to Jones being arrested Friday morning on two charges, injuring or tampering with a vehicle, which is a felony and misdemeanor battery domestic violence. Jones was released on Friday evening on $8,000 bail and is due back in court on October 26th. Uh, the article goes on to say Jones was apprehended by police on the Las Vegas strip just before 6 a.m. Friday when he was taken into custody. The report states that Jones became irate and smashed his head onto the front hood of the police vehicle, causing a medium sized dent in paint chipping. 
Jeez. That led to a felony charge of injuring or tampering with a vehicle. In an interview at the Caesars Palace Resort, the woman involved in the incident told police that Jones was a little physical with her, touching her, uh, touching the back of her head and pulling her hair a bit. She said Jones did not hit her. However, police observed blood on the woman's clothing and a bump on her lip with dried up blood. She explained that her lips were really dry. Police also observed blood on the bed sheets in the hotel room. The uh, police stated the, uh, the report stated, excuse me, close quote. This man needs some serious goddamn fucking help. And, and it is about time that the UFC cut his ass mm-hmm. because he has had far too many opportunities and second chances after fuck ups. He was arrested in 2011 uh, at a strip club for driving on a suspended license. Uh, 2012, he, cr- he crashes Bentley into a utility pole and injuring two passengers. He was convicted of DUI. Uh, also in 2012, he was uh, he sent a homophobic text to a fan, didn't expect responsibility, and claims his phone was stolen and his account was hacked. Uh, he was fined $50,000 in 2014 by the Nevada State Athletic Commission for a pre-fight uh, fight, failed a drug test in 2015, fled uh, to rehab but left the next day, only stayed for a night. The UFC still allowed him to fight. Also in 2015, he was involved in a hit and run where he injured a pregnant woman and fled the scene. Didn't turn himself in until it was clear he uh, he was identified. 2016, he was arrested for violating probation. 2016, he tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. 2017, he tested positive for the steroid Turnable. Uh, 2018, uh, the UFC moved an entire fight card from Vegas to Los Angeles so he could still fight uh, outside of the Nevada State Athletic Commission. 2019, you had a waitress in a strip club uh, file a police report that John uh, put her in a chokehold, kissed her neck, and rubbed uh, certain areas when she declined to uh, give him a private lap dance. Uh, 2019, you had a war- uh, warrant issued for him after he failed to show up at his bond arraignment for the strip club assault. Also in 2019, he settled his strip club assault by pleading guilty to disorderly conduct. 2020, he was arrested for DUI and negligent use of a gun uh while just doing a bit of drinking and driving and shooting. Uh, and then I'll, then you had the nonsense uh, this past week. So if you're a new listener to the show, John is from our area. I graduated a couple years ahead of him. I walked to the same halls as him. Yeah. So we uh, have an interesting relationship. Yeah, to say the least. Uh, I've met John a couple times, too, uh, when he was bouncing at a bar. Let's say, so, did, so did my brother. He... I think it was after he won the first light heavyweight belt, maybe a little bit before, Mm -hmm. uh, came back home and and came back to the high school, you know, while my brother, my brother has a photo with him because he was at school. Yeah. So if we kind of take this a little more emotional than some of the other podcasts you'll hear, you now know why. John is prime example of what you should not do when you are a pro athlete, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. I think that there has been enough instances throughout his career that the UFC has no choice but to cut him. They have to, they have to. There's no room for a a third chance, fourth chance, whatever it is now. I think at this point we're up to 16. It's just sad to see a fall from grace like this because he had the potential to be the greatest MMA fighter of all time. Yeah. Legitimately. However, He's he's got some issues that he's got he's got you know Dan White said he has demons and no fucking shit Sherlock yeah. the man needs help and you need to I don't know how you go about doing this 
but the man needs some serious help where he cannot extradite himself from the situation that rehab help counseling, whatever the hell it is, you need to send him someplace where he cannot simply up and leave that he needs to sit through this and get this worked out because this is not normal. This is not good. This is not okay. I do not condone these actions in any way, shape or form. Same here. You know, I, I, like I said, I graduated from the same high school as him. I met him and his brother art who played football for the Baltimore Ravens and Indianapolis Colts won a super bowl with the Baltimore Ravens Mm -hmm. and, and had a very nice conversation with the two of them. My freshman year of high school, art Jones famously told me I got introduced to art through some mutual friends. Art Jones and John Jones met him during the lunch period one day. Art looked at me and goes, hey, kid, because there's always that whole freshman in high school thing. You know, they're all you're going to get picked on. Art Jones and John looked at me and goes, hey, anybody ever messes with you, let us know. Yeah. You know, so I've got a very, I had a, you know, I knew them and <laughs> word about that traveled in high school. You know, I already said I was done with the guy. I'm really done with the fucking guy. I, I cannot sit there and be like, nah, it's okay. There's no way to condone what he did, allegedly. But this is also just another example of he needs help. And the UFC or whoever is surrounding him needs to get him that help. Mm-hmm. There's no chance to come back now. No, there's not. There, it's done. It's a wrap. No, it, it's absolutely. And, and I know that before it was, oh, you can't cut him because then Bellator is going to pay. No, even Bellator won't touch him. No, the only chance he's got of coming back is if he does one of those Jake Paul-esque boxing yeah. matches. That's it, in my opinion. He doesn't come back to the UFC. You can't take the chance on him. And I'm sorry that if the UFC does bring him back, I think that that's just a bad look for them. Yeah. Because that, yeah. because unless we have some great triumphant rehabilitation for him, and I hope so for him as a person. I don't, oh, give, a yeah. shit. I don't give a shit about him as a fighter. For him as a person, I want to see him get healthy and get some kind of normalcy back Yeah, where these antics and instances go away. So let's get back to the John that like the night or the weekend of his first title when, what was it, he stopped a, a carjacking? Yeah. Or whatever the hell. Let's get back to that because that was fun to look at and go, oh, yeah, he's from the area. This is just a fucking disgrace. It's an absolute. It's a disgrace. But it, you know, for him, like I say, this is it's, as a it, pro athlete. This is what. This is why you should not be emulating athletes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like this is a prime example. If you are a pro athlete, this is stuff you should not be doing. Yeah, no, and and, and I gotta say, Cormier called it. You know, there mm-hmm. was there was a video from a couple of years ago. Uh, this was leading up to one of their fights where you know it was Joe Rogan was doing an interview between the two. You can look up the video, but it's making the rounds again. Obviously, where yeah. Cormier said, "Quote: Sobering truth is, his history dictates and determines that the same thing is going to happen again. That is his character. That is him at his core." I look at that young lady, that PR lady that's on his team now, and I see in her eyes, she knows she's fighting a losing battle. I look at his coaches. I see that these guys know that this kid will not change. He won't. He will not change. He's the same guy. He's rotten at his core, and he will continue to fuck up. You don't constantly make mistakes. You make mistakes, but you don't do them over and over and over and over. You don't do that. When you make a mistake, it changes you. You try to make yourself better, close quote. Yeah. Cormier called it. I mean, he's not wrong, unfortunately. Like I say, I hope he gets help as a human being. Yes. I really want to see that. Anything else, listen, I don't even give a shit if I ever see him fight again. No. I really don't. I can't I can't see us as a whole six or seven podcast team get up to see him watch a fight no. and be excited about it. No. So that being said, that is our opinions of 
what is going on. And obviously, like I said, Pad's got the backstory. I've met him a couple times, like I said, when he was a bouncer here before he broke big in the UFC. Yeah. We know that person that we've met, and obviously it's... It's not the same person. It's not the same person, and it's sad to see. And we just can't stress enough. Pro athletes, take a look at this, and this is stuff you should not be doing. Yeah, and this, and this goes for all sports, not just MMA. Oh, absolutely. You know, John legitimately had the opportunity to go down as one of the most dominant, if not the most dominant fighter of all time, and to go down as one of the best of all time. And he flushed it down a toilet. He absolutely did. So I just hope that this will be the final time. Yeah. And I can just hope that that's the case. And I I hope that this comes true, that we're done talking about him in the negative light. Mm -hmm. I really do. But nothing else really needs to be said about this. And if the UFC doesn't make a move right away, that is just disgraceful on their part, in my opinion. Uh, switching over to some other news, uh, there was, uh, over the weekend it was announced, or just the other day, uh, Aljamain Sterling has been full pulled from the, uh, his UFC title fight due to injury. Uh, article on ESPN, courtesy of Brett Okamoto, reads, quote, UFC bantamweight champion Aljamain Sterling has been pulled from his title defense against Peter Yan at UFC 267 on October 30th because of medical reasons per sources. According to sources, Sterling was denied medical clearance by doctors for the five-round fight. The UFC has not, and this was as of this writing, uh, has not announced an official change to the card, but is discussing, and yeah, yeah, yeah. so there we do have the update that uh, Peter Yan and Corey Sandhagen has been scheduled for the interim bantamweight title bout at UFC 267. This according to, well, Dana White. I'm here for that fight. Like, listen, you got to do an interim bat- title, and listen, I, I have no issue with Sandhagen getting the shot. No. Really don't. So that's going to be a fun, fun fight, too, on October 30th. Can't wait to talk about that. Man, we hit you with a lot of MMA, UFC action, so definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about UFC 266? What is your thoughts about John Jones? And what is your thoughts about the interim bantamweight title fight? Definitely want to hear that, so definitely hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Greetings, henchmen and loyal subjects. I am Evan the Great. And I'm JVD. We're your hosts of the Fictional Battle Podcast, Crossover Collision, brought to you by the Villains Demand. If you love hearing in-depth breakdowns of your favorite characters and what they are capable of doing while fighting in random battlegrounds against other fan favorites, then this is the podcast for you. New episodes drop every Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or over on TheVillainsDemand.com. Time to talk some wrestling on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Wrestling. So let us break down this past week's highlights that are jumping out to us from the land of pro wrestling because there was a lot going on. Yeah. AEW had their Grand Slam event taking Mm -hmm. place from New York City on AEW Dynamite and AEW Rampage. There is a lot to break down, so I'm going to kind of deep dive into it on Blogs Count Anywhere this week on odphpodcast.com on the Parlay Points section. But, Pad, your general takeaways from the cards. Uh, they were loaded cards, that's for damn sure. I, I know the uh, Dynamite card was a pay-per-view-esque card. You mm-hmm. know, with all the ma- – we previewed the matches last week. You know, um, you know, just how stacked it was. So, on paper, it looked really good. You know, they were they were boasting about, oh, sold out, you know, Arthur Ashe Stadium, which, hey, that's a tennis stadium. That's, pretty, that's a pretty unique look. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on paper, it looked good. On uh, Whether you enjoyed it or not is up to – personal uh personal beliefs yeah like for me i thought that they put on a solid show um i thought dynamite was a little stronger than rampage Mm -hmm. 
I think that Rampage being two hours might have been just too long. Sure. I think that maybe you should have cut down on some of that and even put like the extra matches that used for that second hour Mm -hmm. on YouTube. And I don't think that would have been a bad thing. No. I I really think that going to ask people on the East Coast to stay up till midnight to watch a show. That's a long time. That's a long uh, ask. It's a long time, especially when you have it so stacked and you go. One thing that Rich from 3FN has talked about on 607TWS is Rampage has a certain formula. They put their main event on first and then let everything trickle down after. Mm -hmm. They kind of did the same thing here. I will say, though, the main event on Rampage with Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer taking on Moxley and Kingston was a solid main event. I know it was supposed to be their lights out, and it lived up to the billing per se, albeit, though, having Homicide randomly jump in the match was kind of a little catching off guard. Sure. But I'm I'm not mad about it. I was very happy to see him. In fact, I was very happy watching GCW to see him wrestle Minoru Suzuki, ironically, that night since Rampage was taped. Mm -hmm. But... I feel that it's a win for AEW because they definitely had a solid night of wrestling on yeah. both nights. Yeah. But I think that for where they should have been in ratings, I, I definitely think is a little it's, – it's a letdown. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, because just to read over just the, even the names that were on the cards, mm-hmm. you know, and just think about this. You had Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega. Yeah, which was up, great. It will go up against each other. They fought each other. MJF versus Brian Pillman Jr., Malachi Black versus Cody Rhodes. Uh, Rhodes Lander. Yeah. Darby Allen and Sting versus FTR. And then you had Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, taking on Ruby Soho. That was your AEW Dynamite card. Mm-hmm. And they averaged uh, 1.273 million viewers, which was up a little bit from the previous week, you know, which is understandable, a little bit of hype, but still that's a number that I felt should have been a lot higher than 1.2 million. I agree with you. It was a pay-per-view that they put on for free. Like, that is a pay-per-view card. Don't get it twisted. The matches in itself were very, very good. The Danielson Omega one was great. Hated the ending, though. Mm-hmm. Don't like it. Don't like the no contest, even though I fully bank we're going to see that ran back at full gear. Yeah. So I'm not mad about that. I didn't like the Ruby Soho ending. Sure. To her match against Britt Baker, I it just it felt like for being a pay per view event, it was too much like a TV ending. Sure. So I didn't much care for that. And then the Rhodes Lander actually losing to Malachi Black, I was happier than a pig and poop about that one. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie about that. The fact the Rhodes Lander lost to him is the right move to make. Sure. I don't want to see it ran back. I hope it's done, and then we yeah. go from there with no, it. Yeah, I mean the dynamite numbers should have absolutely been higher because I'm looking at should have been too at an image courtesy of Showbiz ShowbuzzDaily.com, and it, and it breaks down the demos and all that. But I'm not even gonna get into that. It just just going off of the shows that were on that night as well. You know, on ABC, you had the Goldbergs, the Wonder Years reboot, remake, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. You had the Connors, Home Economics, Million Little Things. Uh, and then over on CBS, you had Survivor making its triumphant return after a, like a year plus off. Uh, you had an episode of Big Brother. Over on NBC, you had the three Chicago shows. Uh, plus on Fox, you had uh, Matt the Mask Singer and Alter Ego. Uh, and then over on CW, you had Riverdale and In the Dark. None of those, in terms of like who I think watches those shows, greatly overlaps with the AEW demographic. Yeah. There's a little bit, and sure, I'm sure there's now, just to appease the, the AEW Kool Aid drinkers, yes, I'm sure some of you watch some of those shows that I listed, but not in great swaths that would go, oh my God, I'm skipping AEW to watch, pick one of those shows. Yeah. You know, that's why, you know, if you do, that's why, hey, CBS has got Paramount Plus where you can watch all their episodes the mm-hmm. next day. 
Peacock has got, you know, NBC, so you can watch all those shows on XI. So, like, if you're a big watcher of one of those shows and you really want to watch Dynamite, you can watch Dynamite Live and watch those shows on, on demand the next day. So, you can't even sit there and go, oh, it was like with Monday Night Raw, you know, all oh, their ratings are down because obviously Monday Night Football's on. Monday Night Football is king on Monday night. Sure. There's nothing on that that's going, holy Christ, that's, you know, that's what, that's what took away from the Dynamite viewers. They were all watching that instead. And especially, too, with AEW really focusing on the demo and the actual ratings numbers, it is a loss. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you, you can't say otherwise because you had that card stacked like a pay-per-view. Like, that's the point I'm really trying to drive home about this. Both nights were stacked like a pay-per-view. You should be doing a higher number by leaps and bounds than what you do on a normal night. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That is what you need to do with that kind of card. And they should have done that with Dynamite. They yeah. really should have. Rampage is a little frightening. I'm not going to lie about that. Yeah, so the Rampage card, you had CM Punk and Powerhouse Hobbs, uh, the new the Click or whatever the hell they call them. Super Click. Super Click going up against Christian Cage and then uh, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky up against Chris Jericho and Jack Hager. Uh, you had a tag match between Ortiz, uh Penta L Zero, uh, Ray Phoenix, and Santana against uh, Orange Cassidy, Mark Quinn, the Blade, and the Butcher, uh, Penelope Ford against Anna Jay, and then you had Eddie Kingston, John Moxley go up against Lance Archer, Minoru Suzuki. That show averaged uh, six hundred forty thousand viewers on TNT. This, according to Nielsen, via Showbiz Daily, uh, and I'm reading from an article on WrestleInc.com. Quote: This is down uh, 0.31 percent from last week's taped Rampage episode, which drew six hundred forty-two thousand viewers. It is very disappointing, in mm-hmm. my opinion, because both nights were solid. Like yeah. both nights should have generated a bigger number. Mm-hmm. But I think though, with Rampage, you let off with Punk. Yeah. Then you had the Super Click match. Yep. So you're really relying on the lights out match to carry you through. And like, I don't care about spoilers because here's the one thing: if anything was going to entice you to watch, and you read spoilers. You would have tuned in to watch it happen live. Uh-huh. Like that's the big thing. There really wasn't anything that was selling about watching this if you're going to say I was detracted by spoilers. Mm-hmm. like there, I'm sorry, there's nothing on there like the spoilers. There wasn't anything monumental that really kind of turned you off, but you should yeah. have still watched because it's still good action. Yeah. I mean, I mean again, courtesy of showbuzzdaily.com, I'm looking at the demographics breakdown, and I'm not going to go through all the shows, but... You know, there was a, you know, uh, 2020 was on Friday. But again, most of these shows I'm going to mention, they're big, but the demographics don't generally swing that far into what AEW watt viewers, I'd say. Mm-hmm. You know, 2020 was on ABC. That was at 9 o'clock. So that broke into it a little bit. You know, it goes, I think 2020 goes to like 11 o'clock or something yep. like that east. Uh, there was another episode of Big uh, Big Brother on at 8 o'clock, but that was over by the time. That's probably over by the time. Uh, that was over by the time Dynamite started. Yeah. Uh, you did have Blue Brothers on, Blue, or excuse me, Blues, Blue Bloods on CBS, but that was a uh, rerun. So mm-hmm. that, you know, the Blue Bloods is a monster for CBS on at, at uh, 10 o'clock, but it was a rerun. NBC ran an episode of Dateline, but again, that's much like in the same vein of 2020. That doesn't necessarily break into the same demographic that watches AEW, in my opinion. Right. No, it, it's a tough sell. But that's why I say for what they did, it is a bit of a disappointment. Mm-hmm. I would love to see them do a higher number. As an AEW fan, yes, I am one, but I'm very critical of all wrestling. As you'll hear when we talk about the WWE, mm-hmm. this is something that I would be a little disappointed with if I'm Tony Khan and company. Sure. I'm not going to say be super alarmed, 
but I will say this is something that I'll definitely be seeing how they respond to this. Mm-hmm. And that's the one question you really got to you got to focus on too. So something to build off of AEW going forward and we'll kind of see what they do this week on Dynamite, but yeah. uh, but I got to tell you it's it's kind of a weird setup they got. Yeah. That being said, though, we still got some more wrestling to talk about. Pad, what were we watching this past Sunday? Uh, we were watching Extreme Rules. Yes, Extreme Rules from or the WWE. This, or in this case, Extreme Circumstances. Yeah, I definitely want to deep dive into that because obviously we were talking about Extreme Rules. Coming from Ohio on the, I almost said the WWE Network, but hey, it's Peacock. Yep. Still, so, still the network for some folks overseas. Right. So we'll kind of give our breakdown of the events that unfolded. So let's go deep dive into it, shall we? Uh, yeah. So the first matchup we had was on the pre-show and was between Carmella and Liv Morgan. And you had Liv Morgan pin Carmella in 7 minutes and 49 seconds to win the matchup. They really want to start pushing Liv. I'm all here for it. Yeah. So, you know, nothing really too earth-shattering with that match. Yep. Uh, next up was the first match on the main card that was announced during the pre-show because obviously there was no WWE championship match. Uh, this was the New Day. New Day. Taking on the team of Bobby Lashley, AJ Styles, and Omos. Uh, and you had the New Day emerge victorious, uh, pinning the uh, bad guys, I guess you could say, in 18 minutes and 15 seconds. This was a great match. Yeah, no, I, this was very good. I enjoyed this. The New Day is money. And I just want to segue to Raw for 30 seconds. Sure. Raw was very good last night. Oh. I watched it. We had the Hurt Business reunite. About time. Thank God. And we had a great main event with Lashley and Big E in a cage. They tore it up. Great storytelling. The only thing I did not like and care for was Drew McIntyre came out with his sword at the end and pointed at Big E like teasing like they're going to feud again. Right. Because as we're going into this weekend, it's the WWE draft where they switch up the rosters. Yep. I am fully banking that Drew is my lock to go to SmackDown. Yeah. And my leap would be would be uh, Roman Reigns coming to Raw. That'd be wild. Just want to put that out there. That'd be wild. But I want to just stress, like, these, the New Day reunited, and they don't need to make it like a faction. Yeah. Just seeing them together, the, the chemistry has never been tighter. They've been doing great work. And to see them really help Raw, them versus the Hurt Business, I can take through the rest of the year and I'll oh, God, be yeah. happy with. Oh, God, yeah. But great match, though. No, yeah, very good match. Uh, next up, you had the matchup for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, where you had the Usos defending their belts against uh, the Street Profits, and you had the Usos retain their belts, pinning the Street Profits in 13 minutes and 45 seconds. Nothing too earth-shattering here. Both good teams wrestling, so this was pretty standard for the bar yeah. they've set. So I was happy with what I saw, but it wasn't yeah. anything right home about. No, yeah, good matchup. You know, definitely one that if you go watch the card, you could definitely sit and watch her. No need to skip over because it's a very good matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, you had the matchup for the Raw Women's Championship where you had Charlotte Flair defending her belt against Alexa Bliss, and you had Charlotte Flair emerge victorious, pinning Alexa Bliss in 11 minutes and 27 seconds. Only thing I care about this match, because Charlotte being champion is really not doing anything for me. Nope. I, I, I'm sorry. I just I don't get motivated to watch her storylines when she's champion. She's better chasing, mm-hmm. but I this one, the only takeaway I had is Alexa Bliss is finally done with the doll. I'm hoping. I'm, I'm guessing so, yeah. We, we didn't see anything on Raw this week if, if other than a vignette. Well, and, and allegedly there are reports saying that she's uh, got some scheduled time off and she's going to be off TV for the next couple months. Listen, I'm okay with that. Alexa, yeah. Alexa has ran with this fiend gimmick. That she was given being Bray's sidekick as mm-hmm. far as she can go with it. And and she loves the gimmick, you know, I'm sure, because she's a horror movie fan. Yeah, no, she's done great work with it. I am just not a fan of the doll. I know Charlotte ripped it up. 
Yeah. So maybe if they want to come back to it and say, like, she can tap into it a la Finn Balor and the demon, I'm okay with that. Yeah. But I just think it ran its course. And just without Bray there, she was thrown into a tough position, but she handled it very well. So Mm -hmm. kudos to her. Listen, I was not super mad about this match either. No. Uh, Alexa always steps up for pay-per-view. I think yeah. I think her wrestling gets overlooked a lot. A little bit, yeah. No, it was definitely a good matchup. Yeah, but, yeah, good match. Yeah. Uh, next up, you had the matchup for the United States Championship, where you had Damian Priest defending his belt in a triple threat against uh, Jeff Hardy and Sheamus. And you had Je- uh, Damian Priest emerge victorious to retain his championship in 12 minutes and 20 seconds. Better match than I thought. Yeah. Even when they ran it back on Monday Night Raw between Priest and Sheamus. Uh, still solid work. Uh, be it, though, taking... A what was it? White noise off the apron through a table to the floor. Yeah, not likes. the safest thing in the world to be doing wrestling. No, but listen, I'm not mad about how they had this all set up. Jeff Hardy even being added to the match, I wasn't mad about. Mm-hmm. I was kind of a little puzzled because it kind of seemed like he was forced in there for reasons. Yeah. But yeah, but listen, it was a, it, was it was an entertaining okay. it was an entertaining match, and that's all yeah. I can ask for. Yeah, uh, it was okay. Uh, next up, you had the matchup for the SmackDown Women's Championship where you had Bianca Belair uh, going up against Becky Lynch, who was defending her belt, and you had Bianca Belair defeat Becky Lynch via disqualification. However, that means the belt cannot change hands because we had a certain someone run in. Uh, so Becky Lynch is still your SmackDown Women's Championship. But Ken, who was that person to make the run in? The one and only boss herself, Sasha Banks. Uh-huh. And listen, great way for her to come back. Definitely was not on Becky's side. Let's say if you're on the East Coast, you heard a supersonic woo bomb by way of uh, Dog. Yes, Dog was definitely letting everybody know. And listen, it's great to see Sasha back. I don't know what the dynamics going to be involving her because the draft is coming up too. Uh-huh. She could be somebody that gets moved. I could see. Yeah. Or even Becky Lynch. Maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of moving parts that are going to be happening this weekend. So I don't really know how it's all going to play out. But listen. I need to see Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks one more time. Yep. They definitely can build up to that. And if we see it at Survivor Series, I'd be okay with that too because, you know, obviously a lot of time can happen between now and then. True. And I know it's supposed to be Raw versus SmackDown champion versus champion, but it's wrestling. They can make stuff happen if they want to. Yeah, no, it's definitely a good matchup, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do. You know, shout out to Becky Lynch for doing the, uh, what is it, Rambo meme with the two thumbs up. Yeah, that yeah. That was fucking funny that was definitely funny yeah and then in your main event you had roman reigns taking on the demon finn balor in the only extreme rules matchup of the night yeah uh for the universal championship and you had roman reigns emerge victorious i guess you can call it pinning i'm not quite sure what the hell you call this finn balor in 19 minutes and 40 seconds the match was good until the end until the end we had finn balor emerge with his demon persona and this was interesting to see how it was going to play out because he's been more like his Bullet Club days in New Japan with being the prince mm-hmm. than being Finn Balor and switching to the dark side. But he did come out in demon phase, had a solid match with Roman, definitely back and forth, hard hitting. Mm-hmm. The ending was a little something to be desired, I sure. guess is a nice way to put it, because after you had a complete train wreck on the outside of the ring and everybody's down, the lights went red. The heartbeat of the demon music kicked in, and Finn was trying to act like it was giving him life again. Yeah. He basically hit his special, like a video game, put Roman through a table via shotgun dropkick. Which was cool. Which was cool. And then he was setting up for coup de gras on the top rope, and then... At 180 pounds soaking wet. Yeah, and the top rope suddenly snaps. Yep. And the lights come back on normal. Roman gets up. Spear, one, two, three. So... Not the best ending in the world. In no. fact, very disappointed. I mean, you don't have to do... If you wanted to keep the belt on Roman while not making 
you know, the fiend look weak. You didn't have to do the schmaz ending. You know, it, I, I just, the match was good up until, you know, even the whole heartbeat coming back to life thing. I'm like, all right, you know, I stomached it a lot better than I think you did or even maybe Rich did because I'm looking at it like, okay, he really didn't do much with the fiend persona last go around. Maybe that was one of his conditions of bringing it back. I was like, hey, can I do some stuff with it? And they said, sure. You know, so I was okay with that. But then you get to the ending, and like I said, Finn is like 180 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. You can't tell me he broke the rope, the top rope, just by standing on it because we've had some other folks that are much larger in size than Finn Balor stand on those top ropes, and they don't fucking break. Now, obviously, I know it was gimmicked, but still, it makes no sense. And and I and it would have made sense. The story, would I wouldn't have hated the whole thing uh, if it were on Monday night raw because Hey, then you get to pay off the next yeah, night, to pay it, off the next night. But instead we have to wait until Friday to figure out what the fuck is going on. And then that's even if they go into it, like that's the one thing with the draft, everything is up for grabs. Mm-hmm. I could see them skimming passes as weird as it sounds. Yeah. Reasons. Yep. So either way, it was kind of a bad way to end Monday night or um, extreme rules. Monday night raw was a lot better. Yeah. I say that was, a, that was a solid show, especially the main event, like I can't stress Biggie versus Lashley. I'm here for like, I don't mind seeing that get ran back a few times. And now the her business back together, please give that to me. I mm-hmm. am here all day for that. Yeah. Folks, we gave you a lot of pro wrestling talk and we definitely want to keep that conversation going. So head on over to odphpodcast.com, join in the conversation on social media and let's talk about AEW Grand Slam. Let's talk about WWE Extreme Rules and let's talk about your WWE draft picks. Who's going where this weekend? We definitely want to have that conversation. Obviously, the draft is kicking off October 1st on SmackDown and October 4th on Monday Night Raw. So let us know who you got. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name to the desert Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And time to round the bases and take the show home. Pad, what you got? I got to talk a little baseball because we are in the final week of the regular season. And here are where things currently stand. Uh, You've got the Tampa Bay Rays who have won the AL East Division. So they're in the playoffs. Obviously, congratulations to them. Uh, you've got the fuck these guys, Houston Astros, who are currently leading the Ash, the American League West Division. Fuck them. Uh, still haven't clinched the division because they're fucking assholes. Uh, but they're four and a half games up on the Oakland Athletics, so they'll likely win the division because fuck them. Uh, out in the Central, you've got the Chicago White Sox who have clinched that division, so they're obviously in the playoffs. Uh, and then the American League Wild Card is fucking wild. Yeah. You've currently, Say at least. Yeah, you've got the. Because you remember last week we were talking the Yankees are in second place, and now after a three-game sweep over the weekend, uh, they're in first place over the Boston Red Sox. And, hey, shout-out to Giancarlo Stanton, who did something no other Yankees player has done in history. Went into Fenway Park, three home runs, ten RBIs. No other Yankee player has done that in Fenway Park. That's insane. That was insane. He had a couple of moonshot bombs that, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, were insane. So you've got them in first place. They're currently one game up on the Boston Red Sox. We've got the second wildcard spot. And then you've got the Toronto Blue Jays, who are right there, one game back of the Boston Red Sox. Seattle's in the mix, too. They're a game and a half uh, game and a half out, but then you've also got the Oakland Athletics, who are three and a half games out, you know, so but they're not eliminated yet. So just looking at the three American League East teams because 
Barring something real fucking weird, I don't think Seattle is going to make it. Uh, looking at the last week of the year, you've got the Yankees taking on the Blue Jays for a three-game series, so that's got major implications uh, before they finish out the season with a three-game homestand against the Tampa Bay Rays. Over with the Boston Red Sox, they are going into a three-game series against the Baltimore Orioles before they close out the year with a three-game series uh, against the Washington Nationals. And then, like I mentioned, the Blue Jays are playing the Yankees before they have a three-game series to close out the year against the Baltimore Orioles. Folks, it's going to get wild. Yes, can't wait for playoff baseball to kick in. And going down the stretch, I mean, there's one cool thing about the wild card, that they're giving more teams a chance to play, and this Mm -hmm. is why it's important to watch the games this late. I just don't want another scenario like 10 years ago where it was game 162. Yeah, with with the Yankees playing Tampa and Boston and Baltimore, like I don't want another scenario that that was it took years off my life. I don't need that stress on my life. I need I need positive vibes. This is true. So let me go close this show out talking locks and leaps. Sure. Friendly challenge of the NFL week's action. Who can guess the right games? And definitely a lot of moving in the standings, but still a tight race nevertheless after week three. JT from the East Coast Avengers podcast leading everybody with 14 points. Okay. Right behind him is Evan the Great from the Villains Demand crossover collision at 13. Then you got Jay West from We Get Dubbed and Mash from Hops Geeks and Andy Adams, all tied at 12. All right. Joey from So Wizard podcast and you, Pad, are tied at 11. I say I had a good week. Yep. Uh, I'm tied with Rich uh, from 3FN with 10 points. Brian Wayne, Choose the Comics, Real Brains Pod, 9 points. Tied with JVD from Villains Demand and Mac East from We Get Dubbed. And coming in last, he is your coach. He is my coach. He is the coach. Coach Duffy. Ouch. With eight points. So that being said, Pad, are you ready for your lock and your leap? Yes. One? Uh, so, yeah, for my lock, I'm going to take the Dallas Cowboys over the uh, Carolina Panthers. They are currently a five-point favorite, so I like that matchup. Uh, and then over for my leap, I'm going to take the Baltimore Ravens, who are currently a one-point uh, underdog to the Denver Broncos. Listen, I know Denver's 3-0, and but like we mentioned in the first segment, the teams they faced are a combined 0-9. On the flip side, you've got the Baltimore Ravens, who are 2-1. and they, they obviously got the, the lucky win at the end uh, with Justin Tucker and his robot leg. Uh, but then you also remember that the Ravens beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs ain't no slouch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Denver Broncos, not exactly the Kansas City Chiefs. I think uh, Baltimore will be able to pull it off. You have the same leap I do All right. for the same reason. I like Baltimore. I know they're going to Denver. I'm not scared by that. No. It's Baltimore defense. And listen, if the Denver Broncos are real contenders, this is how we find out. So I'm definitely intrigued by this matchup. And for my lock, I know everybody thinks I'm taking Buffalo. I know, but there is no chance in hell no. I'm going near that point spread. That is a trap game. Uh-huh. They've got Kansas City the week after and Tennessee after that. Good God, man. I've seen that originally opened up at 18 points, and now it's at 16 and a half. I am going absolutely nowhere near that game, except let's go Buffalo. I just hope they win. No, my lock, I got Tennessee. Okay. Seven and a half. Facing those New York Jets. Hey. Listen, if the Jets pull off the win, I'm going to have very loud, angry words with JT and the rest of the East Coast Avengers who are based out of Tennessee. We will be having discussions, gentlemen. I'm just going to put that out there. But this is going to be a fun week of football action, so you definitely want to be following all our friends on social media that are in Locks and Leaps because we'd like to get a little trash talk going, a lot of fun going into Sunday. And definitely make sure you're following o- at OD Parlay Hour on Twitter to so definitely get those live reactions too because we are going to have some fun talking some football this weekend. 
So that all being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH podcast is that of Brian Wolf. He's our friend out of Austin, Texas. He's formerly in Fair City Fire, but there is a new project he has in the works, and we are allegedly, 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 allegedly getting new music from him. Mm. So, Pat, if I want to go find out what's going on with Brian, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. You check out all the great bands that give us their music to play each and every episode. So if you are new to the podcast, you can find out everything going on with Shout at the Robots, Yard Party, Floodlands, Second Suitor, Tom Jolu, Brian Wolf. Listen, if we have them on that page, you need to get familiar with them. Go support them because they're all fantastic people. While you're there, you can check out the directory where if you're trying to find the ODPH and you want to drop a follow, all the links are right there on your favorite podcast provider. You can also check out the classifieds, which has organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter, all our friends of the show, and all the amazing pod groups we are in via their Podchaser pages. Because if you're in a pod group and you're not on Podchaser, you're not in a group. So definitely want to shout out the Apocalypse, shout out the Inner Circle, and shout out, of course, hashtag 607podcast and our friends over at 8122productions.com. All that, Parlay Points, got new blogs dropping this week, the T Public Store, and so much more, odphpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only, Paddle 1J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.